New Life Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. All right. Good morning. How is everyone? Okay. You're doing better than first service. I like it. Um, well, welcome to our church. If you're new here, my name is Bronson. Uh, I'm one of the leaders and uh, one of the pastors, and we're glad you're here. Um, you know, we're in a new series called the Family Series. We kind of quasi started it last week, but we're really starting it this week. And what we're looking at today is what it means to be a part of the family of God. So we, we've taken the last nine months as a church, and we've really been looking at, okay, what does God offer us? Okay, if you want to go back, listen to the podcast. If you're new here, there's nine months of stuff that you can listen to. Uh, but we've been looking at, what does God offer us? He offers us uh, life and power through the kingdom of God. He offers us answers for the practical problems we face through, through the gospel. He offers us hope through Christmas and peace. And he, he, he offers us uh, essential practices, right? Everybody say practices. These are good things. If you want to get good at something, what do you do? You practice. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to practice. And then we talked about who is Jesus? Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all the good things that God came to bring us. He's the perfect life. And we talked about at Easter, the sacrifice of Jesus. He's the perfect life who chose to die so that we could live. Okay. And so what we've talked about is what God offers us. We've talked about the offer on the table, right? This week, we're going to talk about what God asks of us. Okay, we've talked about what God offers us. This week, we're going to talk about what God asks of us. So, uh, you know, one of the values in Callie and I's home and in the Duke household, we've kind of spent different times and looked at said, okay, what, what are our values? And one of them is that we don't leave any of our kids behind. Okay, so I've got three under three. Uh, we've got Georgia, who's about to be three, and then we've got two twins. And life can be chaotic, right? Anybody? Life can feel chaotic. Come on, somebody, don't leave me alone, all right? Life can feel chaotic. And, and, and in that chaos, our, our hope is that we don't leave any of our kids behind. Our, our hope is that they all develop and find their gifts and find their potential and that they know God and they find freedom. They discover their gifts and talents and purposes and they go out and make a difference in this world. Y'all, our heart is the same for you. I want to kind of put my heart out on the table a little bit. If you're new here, uh, we're glad you're here. You're new. If you've been here for a while, y'all, we don't just want to be a crowd, okay? I I don't believe that, that Jesus came and did all the things that he did for a crowd, right? Jesus came and did all the things he did for a church. What is a church? A church is a group of people who are full of faith, who are mobilized by the call of God, by the great commission, who are filled with love from the great commandment, and we go out and make a difference in the world we live in. Amen? Anybody with me this morning? Because we don't, we don't fight. We're in a battle. Does anybody know that? Right? Have you seen that? We're in a battle, and, you know, right now it's new. We've got, like, the culture wars, right, that are happening in different sides of the political aisle. You know, this is the same battle we've been in forever. It's just taking a different form, right? And our battle, the Scripture says, is not against other people. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of darkness that reign and rule in this world. And what we are, listen to me, if you're a Jesus follower, you bring light, 
You're light in a dark place. And so this morning's message is going to be a wartime message, okay? We're going to do a wartime message. We're going to talk about preparation and the things that God has for us and the things that God wants from us. And ultimately the goal in Jesus is to become mature. Everybody say mature. Question, are you mature? Follow-up question, compared to who? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today is, is are we mature? How do we become mature? How do we measure that? And here's my thesis. I always try to give us a thesis uh, every Sunday morning. My thesis is this. In the family of the church, maturity comes through walking with Jesus, finding freedom in Jesus, and fulfilling the mission that Jesus set out for us. So my message title this morning is Church Family, and we're going to look at the Great Commission. Go with me to Matthew 28. Verse 19 and 20. Give you a second to find it. I'm in the NIV. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all, everybody say all. Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to unpack that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Those are four absolute statements. All authority has been given to Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us through it. God, we thank you that the Bible reveals to us that you are our maker. God, that you're the creator of heaven and earth. God, we thank you that you chose to come to us in human form as Jesus. And that you chose to live and to suffer and to die so that we might find life and that we might receive the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. We're, we're listening, our hearts are open. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Come on, all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Uh, question, if you could go back to any year of life, what year would you go back to? Right, come on. I know we got some glory days in here. Callie always says my glory days were middle school. But actually, uh, my glory days were, were 2008. Okay, uh, th this was my senior year of high school. Uh, because I had had some behavioral issues, I ended up spending five years in high school. Uh, and so I was 19, the incoming freshmen were 14, and I had one class that I needed to take, but I was immature, hello, and uh, I needed an extra year in school. And so I was in this Christian school, and uh, I, I was an absolute nightmare as a student, okay? I'm super extroverted. Uh, you know, I'm not real good with, like, rules and boundaries, and they're more suggestions. And so you, you stick me in a high school, 19 years old, with really no real responsibilities. I had to take one class. I, like, took gym all day long, you know? I had a bunch of free periods and and y'all, the stuff that I did, I can't believe I got away with it. I was kind of like the trouble kid at the Christian school. Have y'all seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? 
right? That's, that's my story. I got sent, and I, I was in this private school, and all the teachers, like, had compassion on me because, like, hey, he had a troubled past, okay? We, and I took advantage of that, absolutely. And so, you know, literally my senior year of high school, uh, <laughs> I, I'm driving out of the parking lot, and the way our school is set up is there's a main building, and then there's a secondary building, and I get in my car, my 2002 Ford Explorer, and my favorite teacher Adam Heath is walking across the street and I drove my car against across the front lawn and tried to run him down with my car just messing with him you know trying to scare him whatever and again I had a lot of free time it's in the middle of the school day and uh, the, the maintenance guy is on his lawnmower at the time, and he was like, no, no. He comes in, he blocks me, and he was like, principal's office now. Like, this is the kind of stuff I was doing, and I got away with it. I didn't get in any trouble. Uh, I, I can't believe it looking back at it. But, y'all, I was having an absolute blast. I was interrupting classrooms. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. Uh, one of the teachers, my name is Bronson, but all my high school friends call me Branson all the time because I would come to disrupt the class, and she'd go, nope, Br Branson, not today, Branson. And I'd, you know, mill around for a little bit, and then I'd leave. Uh, I, I loved it. I was having the time of my life, but could you imagine if I never grew out of that phase, right? Could you imagine if I stayed like that? Here's the truth. Some of us are still in that phase, right? We're going through life, we're doing whatever we want to do, uh, and even as Christians, like, we have no responsibility. We're just kind of milling about, but, y'all, we will never become mature if we don't grow, if we don't take on responsibility, if we don't have things to do. Here's what I've learned about maturity. Mature people know where to go to get what they need, right? Mature people know where to go to get what they need. Like, it, it could be uh, they're, they're overwhelmed and they need a break. They know their limits, right? Uh, it could be a conversation. They know how to seek wise counsel. Uh, it could be a decision. They know how to consistently make wise choices. But you all immature people, they don't know how to set boundaries. They don't know how to seek good counsel. They don't know how to make wise choices. And therefore, they do not have steady responsibility in their lives. Okay, question. Spiritually, are you mature? Mature people have good sources, healthy places to go to get what they need. So what is your source? What's your primary source for information? What's your primary source for formation? What's your primary source for uh, making decisions as Christians? Our primary source is clear. It's the person of Jesus. It's through his incarnate word. He is the word made flesh, right? That's what it says in the Gospel of John chapter 1. It's through his salvation that he's provided for us. It's through his Holy Spirit which guides us. It's the spirit of Jesus that actually, oh, mind-blowing, we're going to maybe get into this if we have time, indwells us, right? Same spirit that was in Jesus. Another way to say that Going to Jesus as our primary source is to say that we become his disciples. Isn't the word discipleship kind of ambiguous, right? Like, what is discipleship? Is it like we strap on our, our Air Jordans, right? Or not Air Jordans, Air Jerusalems. That's what? Chris Bell Davis. That's what they call my shoes. If you want to be a disciple, line up. We've got your Air Jerusalems. Jesus wore these basket weaves. Uh, does it mean we move to Africa and become a missionary? So many people are like, I'm afraid to follow Jesus. He's going to make me go on the mission field. Sort of, but maybe not like that. 
Does it mean we have to go to Bible study like every day and meet with a Christian mentor all the time and become a leader in the community of faith? Maybe. But are these things discipleship? I I would argue, no, they're not. And and we're going to dig into and we're going to look at what the Bible defines as discipleship. Dallas Willard, um, digging into a book of his right now, it's called The Great Omission. Um, and it's, it's basically the great omission from the Great Commission. That's what we're going to be looking at today. But he describes discipleship for modern ears, right? We don't really have like, do you have people you go to and it's like, I'm going to become your disciple? Like, that is not a common thing in our world. And so for modern ears, a, a more accurate term is probably apprenticeship, right? We understand apprenticeship. Like, if you want to become a woodworker, what do you do? You go to a master woodworker and you learn from them. You learn how they do the things that they do. If you want to become an electrician, you go to a master electrician and, and you learn how they do what they do. If we want to become what we've been called to be, what we've been created to be as humans, we go to the ultimate picture of humanity, and that's Jesus, and we learn how he lived, like what he actually did, not just what he offers, but the way that he lived, how he made decisions, his daily practices. His priorities, you know, I was talking to some of our pastors in here, Austin, Beverly, McCaskill, they always tell me not to call them out from the stage, but I have the microphone. And so, uh, one of my favorite things to do as a parent is I'm trying to learn how to be a great parent. I have no idea what I'm doing. Anybody else, right? And so what I do is every time I meet a great parent who has great kids, I say, hey, give me one thing. And I was sitting down with Austin. Uh, The women have their Bible studies, and for a while on Thursday nights, Austin would come over and we would kick it. And uh, some of my favorite nights, and I asked him, I said, Austin, uh, give me some parenting advice. He said, he said, you will succeed as a parent if your kids learn how to think how you think. He said, so often we, get to get, we try to get our kids to just do what we would do, but if they learn how to think how you think, they'll do what you would do, right? That's our goal with Jesus. We want to learn how Jesus thinks. When we interact with people, we want to learn why did he interact with people the way he did? Why did he see people the way that he did? How did he do the things that he did? We want to become his apprentices and learn how he thought. Dallas Willard says it this way. This is a long quote, so bear with me. Being his apprentice is, therefore, not a matter of special religious activity, but it's an orientation and quality of my entire existence. This is what is meant by Jesus when he said that those who do not forsake all, everyone say all, cannot be his disciple. We're going to dig into that in a little bit with the story of the rich young ruler. The emphasis is upon the all. There must be nothing held. Everyone say nothing. This is difficult. Nothing held of greater value than Jesus and his kingdom. And being his apprentice as the greatest opportunity any human being has ever had. Here's my submission to you this morning. The only path biblically to true spiritual maturity is to become an active apprentice of Jesus. To be with him, to become like him, learning how to think like him, and then asking the question. Pastor I love says it this way. We are not a first century rabbi, right? Right? Anybody in here? Time travel, you're a first century rabbi? I'd love to meet you if you are. I'd like to introduce you to Blake Polson at 18 Recovery because you're probably on drugs, right? (laughs) We can help you. 
But we're mothers and we're fathers and we're friends. If Jesus were me, how would he live? That's the question that we've got to ask. So, question. Are you a disciple? Are you an apprentice of Jesus? Or are you just a convert? Are you a disciple and apprentice, or are you just a convert? There's a big difference. We're going to dig through kind of our modern view of discipleship versus a biblical view of discipleship. Um, Our modern view is this. Can we throw this up? Um, And this is kind of what's taught in pastoral circles, and I'm going to kind of explain where this came from. But our modern view of discipleship is this, is first we convert. Did anybody go to a church camp or something like that and say, hey, you're going to hell. If you don't want to go to hell, believe in Jesus, and you'll go to heaven when you die. Anybody? Come on. Who had that experience? A lot more of you than that. Uh, That was my experience. So, okay. You got your get out of hell free card. Next. Then you have an option. Do you want to become a disciple? And then, okay, yeah, sure, I'll sign up for that. Discipleship, learning from Jesus, that sounds good. Then do you want to become a worker? Do you want to build the kingdom? This person believes in Jesus and then has a decision to make. Do I want to become a disciple? Do I want to build the kingdom? You know, this is never represented in the Bible. This view of discipleship, this view of following Jesus is never represented in the Bible. Here's the analogy I want to give you. If you go to buy a car, right, you buy a pickup truck. I, I, I used to work for a car dealer, okay? Go buy a pickup truck. What are we going to try to do? Man, you need to lift that thing. Like, it looks good, but you need to put a lift kit on that. Or like you go and you buy an Impala and you're like, you need to put rims and tires on this thing, Okay going to take you to rent a wheel, okay? That's what, that's what they did. And so it's like, okay, it's not just the car. So what we've looked at is we've looked at Christianity as like belief is the car, but discipleship is the optional rims and tires, right? And, and here's the issue with this. That's not what Jesus presents. Discipleship is the car. Following after Jesus is the call. And let's look at this biblically. Biblically, the, the view of discipleship is this. It's coming eventually. I know it. In faith, I saw it earlier. You guys have it? There it is. That's the modern view. Go to the next one. There it is. Way to go, Bobby. Become a disciple. That's the call of Jesus. This person believes in Jesus, wants to become like Jesus. And listen to this. This is where we're about to get to our text for today. This is just preamble. 18 minutes. Okay, keep going. Wait, go back. Okay, and is actively seeking, look, actively seeking to bring others into the kingdom of Jesus. Okay, let's compare and contrast two stories. Have you all ever heard the story of the rich young ruler? If you haven't heard it, basically it's this. A rich man comes to Jesus and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus does not say, believe in me and you'll go to heaven when you die. Jesus says, sell everything you own and follow after me. And the Bible says that this man went away sad. Let's compare that to Luke 7. There's a story of a woman with something called an alabaster jar. And this woman is a prostitute, and she comes into a home where Jesus is reclining at the table, having a philosophical debate with other religious leaders of the day. And he's reclining at the table, and she comes down, and she breaks this necklace she had that was full of really expensive perfume. And she pours it out on his feet, and she begins to weep. Think about how 
how weird this is. She begins to weep on his feet and dry his feet with her hair. What we see in the first image is someone who is wealthy who comes to Jesus and says, I believe, but when confronted with the cost, goes away sad and says, I'm unwilling to follow. What we see in the woman, see, prostitutes in the day would, would wear these necklaces around their neck and it put off a smell so that men up to 10 feet away could smell that smell and would be drawn in. What she did is she took her way of life, what was most valuable to her, and she shattered it on the feet of Jesus, and she took what she used to use to draw men to herself, and she poured it out on Jesus so that men would be drawn to him. Because she had committed her everything to Jesus, she committed everything So here's a question. Do you believe or do you follow? Do you believe or do you follow? You know, one of these people, both believed, but one truly worshiped and brought everything they had and broke it on his feet. And one went away sad. One became a disciple. One had total life change. Only one used what they had to attract others to Jesus. Okay, let's get to our text, and I'm going to try to get through this in 14 minutes. Point number one, we're going to walk through the Great Commission. Jesus is the authority. Everyone say authority. Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So who is Jesus? Here is what Jesus is saying about himself. He is saying, I am the ultimate authority in the cosmos, okay? This is what the Bible says. Jesus is the ultimate authority. I don't have time to go into it, but in Revelation, it talks about there's these scrolls that they're trying to open, and no one on, in heaven, no one could open them, but Jesus had the power to open these scrolls, and in the scrolls, there's a lot of figure, figuratism, but basically what it is is it's the keys to life. Jesus is the only one who could open them. He has all authority in heaven and earth. What comes to mind when you think of this type of power? I think of two stories. I think about Jafar in the first Aladdin movie, right? Ultimate cosmic power, and he becomes this huge genie, right? Or I think about Thanos, right? He gets the gauntlet. He gets the infinity stones. He has the power to create and destroy life. It's the ultimate power in the universe. This is the way we view power. Don't we all, if we're honest, want power? We seek power. We seek it through wealth. We seek it it through job security. We seek it through dominating others. We seek it through our social media profiles and our influence. Come on, right? That's real power, right? Not according to the scripture. Total power, according to the Bible, is this. Isaiah 53, two through three. This is of Jesus. This is how he walked and lived. Let this challenge us. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. Like a shame to look at him. 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. It goes on to say he was pierced, he was crushed, he was chastised, he was wounded, he was oppressed, he was judged, he was afflicted, he was killed by wicked men alongside wicked men, and now he's been exalted to the highest place in the heavenlies. The highest place in the multiverse, if you will. He is now the name above every name. He's been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Doesn't this absolutely disrupt our view of power? If we're honest and we look at our lives, we look at the way that we live, let's come back to apprenticeship and discipleship. We want to become like him. We think to get power, we have to be beautiful. We have to be young, we have to be cutthroat, we have to push other people around, and we have to get what's mine. Anybody ever heard that? We have to be willing to trample others, but Jesus shows us the way to true power. Sort of flip our framework here. It's through humility, it's through sacrifice, and through love. Jesus says the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He says, the meek, not the proud, will inherit the earth. He says, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. If we believe what Jesus says about himself, we have to redefine our view of influence. We have to redefine our view of power. Willard continues in that book, and he says this. He says, finally, for the one who makes sure to walk as closely to Jesus as possible there comes the reliable exercise of a power that is beyond them in dealing with the problems and the evils that afflict earthly existence. Jesus is actually looking for people he can trust with his power. Question, can Jesus trust you? Can he trust you with his power? Are you mature? Acts 10, 38. We are called to do his work by his power, not by our power. So what's your paradigm for power? Do we view Jesus in this way? And then do we reflect that out in our lives? So if we do that, if we become disciples, we start taking on this view of life. Number two, we'll obey his command. Jesus has called us to make disciples. Everybody say disciples. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey. Everything I have commanded you. We're, we're going to jump into that in a second. So big question. How do we make disciples? And how do we invite others into, if we're going to use that terminology, apprenticeship to Jesus? Is it through in-depth Bible study? We do that. We do that on Tuesday nights up at Nexus Coffee. If you want to do Bible study with us, come out, 7 o'clock. Is it through one-on-one -on -one mentorship with older, wiser followers of Jesus? Maybe getting in a life group? Maybe leadership development, right? Jesus had the 12. All these are great, but this is not the invitation of discipleship. Matthew 4, 19 through 20. This is Jesus' call to his disciples. He said, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. You know, we have to remember biblically in this time, discipleship was a common thing. And what would have happened is rabbis would have walked around 
And they would have lived and they would have taught. And they would have had people who followed them called disciples. These disciples would have taken on their yoke, that's their teaching, and their way of life. And they would have looked at their interpretation of the Torah. Everybody say Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And they would have tried to mold their life around it. So Jesus was a rabbi, right? So he had the 12 disciples, but he actually had hundreds of people who followed him as disciples. The 12 were going to become apostles on who he built his church, but there were hundreds of people who would have followed him. And then there were thousands of people who would have gathered in crowds to watch him. What is discipleship? What is the invitation? We have to know this if we're going to make them. The invitation is to follow the rabbi, to follow his teaching. So question, are you following his teaching? And are you teaching others to do the same? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Listen, if we want to be mature, we have to be followers of the way. Did you know that the first Christians were not called Christians? They were called followers of the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what he offers and what he's drawing us to is a lifestyle of following him. This is biblical maturity. Go and make disciples. Translations, go to anyone and everyone from anywhere and everywhere and tell them they can come and learn from me. So there's two calls here. Number one, are you a disciple? Or are you just a convert? What I would submit to you is if you're just a convert, God has so much more for you. Dig in. Now, if you're a disciple, my next challenge for you is are you making disciples? Parents, where are my parents? Raise your hands. Come on. Parents, parents, parents. Your first call, your first disciple is sitting in your arms, sitting back in kids' ministry. Your first call is to teach your kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to find freedom in Jesus, and to go and discover their purpose. That is numero uno. Husbands, you're called to love your wife and disciple your kids. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Moms, you are called to respect your husband and help disciple your kids. Yo, this is the goal. For some of you in here, you're like, I don't have kids. You have friends, right? What's the call? Is the call to make them disciples of you? Listen, if you're in here and you're like, I'm a disciple of Bronson, I promise you, you don't want that. My wife will attest to it. You do not want that. I will let you down. The call is to become a disciple of the rabbi, Jesus, to become a disciple of the master of life in Jesus. How do we do that? We spend time with him. We become like him. And we do what he commands. Okay, so what does Jesus command? I'm going to go through a list. There are 47 things here. Okay, so this is long. Are you all with me? Can I go through this and you'll stick with me? Okay. These are the commands of Jesus. Sometimes we think about, wait, okay, before I get to this, sometimes when we think about the commands, we're like, isn't it about grace, right? You're getting into religion here. You're getting into law here. What I would contend is biblically, I don't have time to break all this down, but biblically, grace is, it is the unmerited favor of God, but it's also grace that God fills us with his spirit and enables us to obey. 
The call of Jesus is not get saved and live however you want. It's get saved and start to walk in the fullness of life. Y'all, isn't that, that's good news, right? That's mind-blowing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are able to obey these commands of Jesus. He says, repent. Repentance is a constant characteristic of the Christian life. If you don't like saying, I'm sorry, you're going to be, you're going to hate being a Christian, right? It's going to be constant. I had to do it yesterday morning, right, Callie? Repent, follow me, rejoice. That's a command, rejoice, be joyful. Let your light shine. Let other people see the light of God in you. Honor God's law. Be reconciled to others. Don't commit adultery. Keep your word. These are all from the mouth of Jesus. Go the second mile with someone who's hurting you. Love your enemies. Practice secret disciplines that no one else sees. Seek God's kingdom first. Don't judge people. Don't cast your pearls before people who aren't going to listen. Do unto others as you've had them do to you. Choose the narrow path. Choose the difficult way. Beware of false teachers and prophets. Pray for those who labor for God. Be wise as serpents but be innocent as doves. Fear not, be bold. Hear God's voice, take his teaching, his yoke upon you. Honor your parents. Beware of religious people. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Don't despise little ones, young people in the faith. Go to the offenders, people who have offended you. Beware of covetousness. Forgive others. Honor marriage. Be a servant. Be a house of prayer. Ask in faith. Bring in the poor. Render under Caesar. What does that mean? Pay your taxes. So practical. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Await his return. Take, eat, and drink. That's a good one. Be born again, watch and pray, feed my sheep, baptize my disciples, receive God's power, and make disciples. Okay, let's bring it back around. Are you mature? Are you growing in character? Are you growing in obedience? Are you mature? Who are you comparing your maturity to? We have to be careful not to create categories where you can be a Christian without becoming a disciple. Biblically, there's no category for this. A disciple is someone who's convinced, are you convinced, that Jesus is the only way to life and is compelled to follow after him in his belief, is baptized into his family publicly, and is committing to, committed to telling others about him and how much he loves them. R.T. France said this in his gospel of Matthew commentary. He said, at the heart of this new community of faith, that's the church, is the risen Jesus himself, as he had said he would be. They are to be his disciples. They are to obey his commands. And they are to be sustained by his unending presence among them. My last point is this. First, Jesus is the authority. Number two, Jesus has called us to make disciples. I would add an addendum. Got to be a disciple to make disciples. Number three, Jesus promises to be with us. Matthew 28, 20. 
close of this passage. It says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yo, this is an amazing promise that seals the call. Despite the worst a hostile world can bring at you, Christ offers to be with us. That when we struggle and when we suffer, that we actually won't be defeated, but we'll get stronger and Christ will abide in us and be with us. Yo, this is the commencement speech of the graduation of the disciples, right? He called them in Galilee, and here they are on a hill in Galilee, and Jesus is saying, okay, I've accomplished all that the Father set out for me to do. Here's my challenge to you. Let's accomplish all that the Father set out for us to do. Us as a church, yo, look around just for a second. Look around. Did you know that the call of Jesus is not just between me and God, it's us and God. Yo, we are in a spiritual battle. And what God needs is God needs us to commit, to walk with him, to become like him, and to do the work that he's called us to do because we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against the mighty powers of a dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Y'all listen, there is a lost and hurting and broken world. Fitz is gonna talk about this later. I'm gonna steal it from you though, wherever he is. We've had 30 murders in our city so far this year. We're on record. It's the most we've had since like 1993, since Banging in the Rock. Y'all, our world is lost and broken, and it needs mature believers who are willing to stand in the gap for those who are oppressed, for those who are beat down, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's be a church that's full of workers. Come on. Come on. Let's go out and do the things that God's called us to do. How do we do that? We become disciples. We invite other people to become apprentices of Jesus. We lock our arms with other believers. And we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve. We're going to honor the Lord. We're going to build God's kingdom. So application. How, how, how mature are you? How well are you leading your family? This is not just through devos, right? A lot of times you're like, as a dad, you're just like, I guess I need to do devos every morning with my family. Maybe. But more than just that, be full of faith and let your family see it. Be the first to say you're sorry and repent. Be a person of prayer who prays with your kids. Be a person of wisdom who's growing each and every day of your life. Y'all, this is what our world needs. If you don't have kids, do that with your friends and have, listen, have fun doing it. We can have a blast in this world. I'm telling you, we can grow, we can thrive and flourish, we can see trouble, but we have joy that's set before us. And so here's my question for you. I just want to close it down with this. That original question, are you mature as a Christian? Are you growing? Are you changing? And if you're not, it's okay. We've all been there. We're all in process. What are you going to do about it? Two questions. Is there anything God's been speaking to you as we've been going through his word? God promises that when we look in his word, it won't return void. Is there anything God's stirring up in your heart? And if he is, what are you going to do about it? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word. God, we pray that we would be the church and the people that you've called and set out for us to be. God, I pray for anybody right now 
who's been on the faith journey, but they've not been on it as a disciple, as an apprentice. If that's you and you just wanna make a change, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. I'm just gonna ask you to hold your hands out in front of you and talk to Jesus about it. That's you and you, you wanna shift, not just be a convert, but you wanna be a disciple. You wanna walk with Jesus, I wanna pray for you. Just hold your hands out right in front of you. God, I thank you for every person who's wanting to make that shift. They wanna walk with you. God, we thank you that when we turn towards you, God, you run towards us and you train us and you teach us. And God, I pray that they would do that. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.